Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We will continue the series of lessons that I have began last Sunday at our church building entitled Defining the Upward Call of God and the Challenges We Face in Fulfilling It. In my first lesson of the series, we looked at the life of Paul, his commitment and dedication to the will of God and to the call of God upon his life and his determination to fulfill it and obtain the prize. We have also covered the importance of the renewed mind, or in other words, obtaining a heavenly mind, which is the key to not only discovering, but also fulfilling our God-given purpose in Christ Jesus. Here is the difference between heavenly-minded believers and earthly-minded believers. The scripture has a lot to say about the type of mind by which we operate in. Both of them, both believers are saved. There is no question about that. But only one of them bears fruit to the glory of God. Heavenly-minded believers value what God values And they live their life here on earth with an eternal perspective. Always having eternity in mind. They see things very differently from earthly minded people. Now, earthly minded believers might be saved. There's no question about that. But they pursue and value what the world values and live their life as though this present world is their home and their forever abiding place. Paul was captivated, according to the scriptures, he was so captivated by the heavenly vision he received from the Lord Jesus, and he was inspired to run his race and finish his course. He lived his life here on earth by pressing, as his own testimony declares, pressing toward the goal and obtaining the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then, according to his writings in Philippians chapter 3 verse 17, he gave us a pattern or an example of how we as believers should live our life here on earth, exhorting us to follow his example. As he writes to the church in Philippi, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Well, it's very clear here that Paul wanted every believer to follow his example 
by pursuing the call of God on their lives and, of course, obtaining their prize. Somewhere down the road, it is my belief, along the ages of time, that modern Christianity has lost the essence of what it means to be a genuine disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and his cause. We got lost, I believe. We got distracted in the pursuit of other things. And in the multitude of our activities, we have lost our sense of purpose as well as our direction. I heard a true prophet of the Lord recently say in one of his recorded messages, of course this prophet now has gone on to be with the Lord a couple of decades ago, maybe even more. His name is Leonard Ravenhill, a true prophet of the Lord. And this is what he said in one of his final messages. He said that the tragedy of our time is that we have a sick church in a dying world. And this is true. My prayer as we enter this new year to the Lord is to grant us mercy and grace so that we can return to the Lord with our whole heart and devote ourselves once again to prayer, to intimacy and fellowship with the Lord, the diligent study of his word, so that we may find the path of true restoration and return to our first love. I believe that we are in such desperate need of a spiritual renewal, if I can call it that, need of divine encounters with the Godhead, similar to the one Paul had, that will transform our way of thinking as well as our way of living. Now, if you have not heard my first message last Sunday, and uh, probably uh, you won't be on the same page, I encourage you to go to the SoundCloud and um, listen to that message that I preached last Sunday at our church building. Now, this morning, we're going to continue in our study by exposing the dangers that we face today of being distracted from our God-given purpose, rendering us unfruitful in the kingdom of God. So, if the devil, now listen carefully, if the devil cannot prevent you from getting saved, he will most certainly try everything in his power to stop you from becoming fruitful as a disciple of the Lord Jesus. No doubt about that. His most successful way of doing this is by preventing the Word of God from growing within us so that we can become fruitful in the kingdom of God. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus spoke about things the devil uses to either block our path towards fulfilling our purpose or choke the Word within us and render our faith unfruitful and useless. Now, here they are. This is the teaching the Lord Jesus gave us in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, 
verses 16 through to 20. I want you to see that or read that from your own Bibles. This is a very important portion of Scripture. If we do not want to be distracted from our God-given purpose. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 16 through to 20. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Now, as you can see, out of the four types of people who received the word of the Lord, only one went to bear fruit. The other three failed to produce any kind of fruit. What happened? Well, the devil managed to either snatch the word out of the heart, or he managed to choke the word, and they became unfruitful in their faith. So, in the above verses, we see here Jesus mentions five things the devil uses in order to either uproot the word from our heart or choke it, thus rendering it ineffective. Now here they are. You may want to write these down. First, tribulation and persecution. The cares and the worries of this world. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Altogether, they are five. Five weapons. And these are the only weapons the enemy has in his disposal to either block your path to fruitfulness or snatch the word out of your heart and thus render you unfruitful. Here they are again, in case you're writing. Tribulation and persecution, for the word's sake. The cares and the worries of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. And the desires for other things. So, someone told me a little while ago that sharing some of my own experiences and the challenges I faced both in my personal life and ministry makes it more real, he said, and helps those I teach to identify with me as well as with the message I bring. So, therefore, in teaching the series of lessons that I'm going to be teaching you, in the fulfilling the upward call of God and the challenges we face in fulfilling that call, 
I'm going to be sharing some of my own experiences, my own personal testimony in overcoming some of these things I faced along the way in pursuing the call of God and somehow managed to overcome the tactics of the enemy trying to prevent me or stop me from becoming fruitful and pursuing the call of God in my life. So I trust that my testimony or my experiences, of course you may have different experiences, different challenges and battles than I had. But one thing is for sure, once you receive the word, the enemy is not going to leave you alone. He's going to come at you with everything he has in order to stop the word from becoming fruitful in your life. So I trust that my testimony will encourage you, help you in some way, to draw courage and strength to overcome your own battles in the Lord. So the first major onslaught of the devil against my faith, as Jesus spelled it out, was tribulation and persecution. Another translation says affliction and persecution. Now, I recall in the early days of my conversion, all hell broke loose around me when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. And I openly confessed Him as my Lord. The first round of persecution, because there was a second round, and that took place when I entered the public ministry. But before that happened, the first round of persecution came from my own immediate family. My parents, my brother, who was living with us at the time, and my in-laws. Now, because they did not understand what happened to me, because there was a drastic change in my life. It was from darkness to light in a matter of hours. What happened to me, they did not understand, and they were afraid that I went too far and over the deep end. I recall the priest of the Orthodox Church told my father and mother-in-law that now that I'm into this new religion or this new faith, I'm going to abandon my wife and my kids, and I'm going to go and preach the gospel all over the world. So it frightened them. So when a person is frightened, does not understand what happens, immediately they react. Now, I experienced just a very little bit of what the Lord Jesus experienced from his own family. The scripture says that none of his brethren believed on him. In fact, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, and they persecuted him. Even his own mother did not understand it. And Mark's gospel records the incident in Mark chapter 3, verse 21. This is what it says. When his family, that is Jesus' family, heard what was happening, they tried to take him away because they said he's out of his mind. They thought he lost his mind. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what happened. They, they thought, my, my relatives thought that, man, this man has gone over the end. He's gone over the deep end. He lost his mind. That's true. I lost my earthly mind, and I gained a heavenly mind. Well, Jesus said that affliction and persecution arises 
for the word's sake, and the man's enemies will be those of his own household. You see, the devil is not so much interested about us. He's concerned about the word that we received, and he will try his utmost to either uproot that word through affliction and persecution, or choke it so that we become unfruitful. So, twice, I recall um, in, um, in the early days, in just a few days when I got born again, I was asked to leave my in-law's house during our visits twice because of my faith and my boldness to go all the way with the Lord. And to make matters worse, my dad wrote me a letter all the way from Cyprus giving me an ultimatum. Renounce this new religion or I am no longer your father. As you can see, the devil was mad at my conversion. He tried to scare me. He tried to manipulate me. And he threatened me with all kinds of threats. And he will do the same with you. If he will not succeed in one way, he will try another way. So you need to be on your guard. And all of us need to be in prayer and fellowship with the Lord. That is our only consolation and strength. My only encouragement, I recall, was the Lord. The book of Psalms, during those days, became very precious to me. I held on to the word of the Lord with all the faith I had. And throughout my persecution, I learned to go directly to the Lord for encouragement and comfort. This, of course, helped me to establish a closer and a more intimate walk with the Holy Spirit. It's important. I recall a conversation I had with the Lord when I questioned him about what I was experiencing during that time in regards to me being fiercely opposed and persecuted. And I remember very clearly the Lord spoke to me that day and he encouraged me to take my eyes off of the people, learn to forgive as they did not know what they were doing. He also showed me who was behind all of this persecution and this all-out attack on my faith. And this is what he said to me. Listen carefully. He said, son, if the devil can succeed through this persecution to root out your faith, being so young in the Lord, then he has got you. Stand strong and be not afraid. And the Lord also explained to me that the tree's most vulnerable and weakest season, it's the time when it's first planted. He said, if he cannot succeed in uprooting your faith now, he will never succeed when you get stronger. And that really encouraged me. And to be honest with you, he almost succeeded, not in uprooting my faith, but in keeping me quiet. I recall an incident in which I was witnessing to someone and sharing the good news when a member of my family appeared on the scene and the things that were said to me at that moment 
caused so much fear and dread to rise up in my heart. And for a long time, I remained silent about my faith. I was afraid to testify as a result of fear and intimidation. And the joy of the Lord somehow was removed from my heart and fear took its place. Of course, I reasoned in my natural mind that in order to keep the peace, I better keep silent about my faith. Well, of course, that was just an excuse I made to cover up my fear. But the truth of the matter was that my faith was paralyzed through the fear of man. If you allow the fear of man to enter your heart and your mind, your faith will be paralyzed. If you're afraid what they're going to say about you, how they're going to treat you, I guarantee you that your faith will be blocked and it will be paralyzed. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about the fear of man and the damage it does to our faith if it is not confronted and cast out of our life. Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says the following. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So in the process of time, the word of the Lord and, of course, prayer helped me to overcome. And the Spirit ministered to me in helping me to overcome as he brought light and truth through the scriptures. The portion of scripture that helped me to overcome this fear is from Isaiah chapter 51, verses 12 and 13. I recall God continuously led me to these verses of scripture in helping me to overcome the fear of man. This is what it says, Isaiah 51. You may want to mark it down and read it. But I want you to see it in your own Bible, verses 12 and 13, reading from the New King James translation. I, even I, this is the Lord speaking, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of a man who will be made like grass? And you forget the Lord your Maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? Question mark. These words became very precious to my heart. Over and over again, the Spirit would point me to these verses and had me to read them again and again in my prayer time until I was able to stand up again in my spirit and continue my journey of faith and be able to testify again without fear. Looking back, I believe that persecution made me a stronger disciple and one who has developed a backbone, if I can put it that way, 
that could stand up to adversity without caving in. Sometimes I think that people who have not experienced any kind of persecution are unable to really stand in hard places. They bend and bow at the slightest threat of the enemy. And we look at that in in the countries where believers, Christians, have to go underground. They fiercely persecuted. That kind of persecution not only cleanses, purifies the believer, but strengthens them in the faith and in the walk with the Lord. It's been proven. Now, how would you know that your faith is genuine unless it is tried and tested? Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So you see here, <clears throat> what the devil intended for evil, God turned it into a blessing. The spiritual weapons I used throughout my journey to overcome whatever the enemy threw at me was first, the word of the Lord, and second, the ministry of prayer and the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that anyone can overcome these challenges without being a diligent student of the word of the Lord and without establishing a strong and a consistent prayer life. These two uh, ordinances, I believe, are indispensable if we are to avoid the traps of the enemy and keep our focus on the Lord and on the call of God he placed upon our lives. The word of the Lord and the ministry of prayer through the help of the Holy Spirit. I consider this as the two wings of an eagle Christian. As you know, the eagle needs both wings to soar above the clouds and catch the wind of the Spirit and go along with the wind. Even so, we in the spiritual realm we need both the scriptures as well as the ministry of prayer as the Holy Spirit enables us to pray to rise above the challenges of life, above the distractions of this present world, keep our focus on the Lord, catch the wind of the Spirit and fulfill the heavenly call that the Lord Jesus placed upon our life. So in closing my message today, I want to encourage you, as I did last week, take a closer look at your prayer life, a closer look at the time you dedicate to the reading, the studying, and the meditating in the Word of God. Ask the Lord to grant you grace and give you help in maintaining your consistency in the areas that I've mentioned to you. 
Now here are some prayer guidelines for prayer as we enter the new year. Number one, pray and ask the Lord to grant you grace to attain a closer walk with the Lord and a greater level of intimacy with Him out of which will result in a greater measure of revelation knowledge and spiritual understanding of His ways. Number two, pray and ask the Lord for your heart and mind to fully engage the Holy Spirit, leading us all back to our first love. Number three, for the influence of Christ to increase and to multiply through us in all our spheres of authority. And number four, for his tangible presence to accompany us with signs following. Now, these are some of the guidelines. Of course, the Holy Spirit may give you some personal ones, but these are the ones that I, I will pursue in my prayer life as we enter this new year, 2021. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.